Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, it's James chapter 3 this morning, picking up where we left off last week. We're uh, in the midst of a sermon series, if you're new with us, called Responding to God. And uh, kind of the thing that we've been developing over these last several weeks as we've gone through the book of James is that responding to God is faith. A proper response to God is faith. Uh, this faith that we have, that God has given us, is, is how we respond uh, in worship and in, in faith and in life. And uh, I'm not sure if it was Luther or Calvin who uh, said this, but justification is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. What a crazy, crazy thought there. It's the thought that you're saved by faith alone, but your faith is never alone. It's always accompanied with fruit. Faith always produces fruit. There's always something that you can, that you can tangibly see in the life of faith. The only kind of faith that saves us is what Luther calls a fides viva, right? That, y'all know that, fides viva. A living faith. It's a vital faith, a faith that issues forth and works as the fruit of faith. There is a faith that God gives us that allows us to respond to God properly. This is why Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. What an interesting thought that Paul would say. You need to examine. You need to look at the fruit of your life. The fruit of your works and the fruit of your words. And examine to see whether or not you see Jesus Christ living in and through you on a daily basis. Because that is how we properly respond to God, is, is Christ living in us. Because if left to ourselves, there's nothing we can do to respond to God properly. He said, so you need to examine yourself. He would say, as we've already looked at in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. The grace and the faith that you've received is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I say all this to to lead you to understand that our proper response to God is faith, and that faith is through Christ and through Christ alone. Not just a one-time gift, but an ongoing presence of God in our life so that it's seen in our works, in our words. So Paul would say, examine yourself. The good news about this is God himself ultimately enables the response of faith and obedience. This is, this is what we've covered on, on Wednesday nights in our adult Bible study. These verses right here, these are so life-giving. Second Peter 1, 3-4, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, let me just stop right there. You, if you are in Christ, if you examine yourself and you see that Christ really is living in and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit, here's the good news for you, church. You've been given everything you need to live a life of godliness. You've been given everything you need to respond properly to God in faith. It is a gift of God. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, 
so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature. The promise is that he would send his spirit and he would fill us, that he would write his word on our hearts, and that through these promises we can be partakers in the divine nature, that we can join with Christ in letting him live in and through us. Now this is, this is great truth, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So over the last several weeks, we have said, living faith always produces fruit. Do you see the fruit? Living faith always produces fruitful works. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Living faith produces fruitful words. We looked at this last week in James 1.26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith with your works and your words. And here's today's in your witness. What kills our witness more than anything is our inability to live righteously and treat others rightly. You know, the church has come, a, come against a lot of opposition over the centuries and some of the opposition most recently is how, treat, how church people treat one another. Always arguing, always slandering, always gossiping, not looking any different than the world. The witness of the church is dependent upon the fruitful witness of God's presence in the life of a believer. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, <clears throat> if you don't, there should be a black one there near you in the pew. It's ESV, hardback. We're going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 3, and we're going to read through verse 12 of chapter 4. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder of every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. There it is. Impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. You might, you might should underline that, right? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks 
against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, who, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? <clears throat> Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We ask God that it would be a light to our feet this morning. You would allow us to have ears to hear, hearts to receive. God, allow us to understand that you have given us all things needed to live a life of godliness and holiness. You've given us your very presence. Father, I pray that for myself and for this church that we would pause and that we would humble ourselves and we would surrender to you. That we would let you sit on the throne of our hearts. That you would be the one that directs our paths, directs our works, directs our words, and God, that you would make us a witness of your glory to the nations. In Christ's name, amen. First thing that we see this morning is respond to God with humility and right reasoning. Responding to God with humility and right reasoning. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Anybody in here know the truth? Anybody here know wisdom? By his good conduct, let him show his works in his meekness of wisdom. He says, look, if you are one of those people who has truth, that has wisdom, then it'll be shown in meekness of works. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now, I have, I have a question. Who here likes to be right? Yeah. It, <laughs> some of you are just already defeated. You're like, oh, I'm never right. Just ask my wife. Right? Just kidding. <laughs> Love you. Oh, um, who here likes to prove you're right? Okay. Who here will argue with others to prove you're right and the other person is wrong? Anybody here just, you know what, I'm right, and I'm going to tell you how right I am, right? I'm not making any, I'm not going to look at anybody right now. <laughs> You're back. You were looking at me, Pastor. I was. Um, see, there's this, there's this thing, like we like, to, we like to be right. Everyone likes to be right. Everyone likes to say, I know the truth. I, I have knowledge. I know better than you. Let me show you. But see what James says, the half-brother of Jesus is like, look, if you're that person, if you have gained wisdom, then show it in meekness and works. Show it in how you treat other people. Don't just lord it over them and, and uh, fight and quarrel with others. I, I ran across this picture, and this is what the world wants you to believe. They want you to say this, just because you're right does not mean I'm wrong. You just haven't seen life from my side. Is it a six or is it a nine? Right? Some of you are like, Six, obviously. You know, so this is, this is where we are. This is when we come down to truth, there's this argument over is truth relative? The world wants us to believe that truth is relative based on our, our perception or our circumstance or our feelings or where we are in life. And so if, if the world can make Christians believe that truth is relative, then they can disband all the things that we say about God because then there is no truth to stand on because it's all based on perception. So if you have wisdom, if you have truth, you know, then how do you see it? You, you've heard this, right? Uh, there's three sides to every story. My side, your side, and the truth, right? So my question to you is, how do you know if it's a six or a nine? 
Who drew it? That's exactly it. Smartest man in the room, guys. Chip Miller. I told you. I told you he's the smartest man in the room. <laughs> See, I didn't, even put, I didn't even put him up to that. That's awesome. Uh, it's who drew, he's out. He's like, I'm, I'm gone. I need somebody else to lead worship at the end. Okay, so it's who drew, the, who drew it, right? Who wrote it down knows whether it's a six or a nine. Whoever comes up later looks at it and says, well, I can argue about this. I can know this. I can know the curvature. Look at how it's drawn. Look, it looks like they start at the top. No, it looks like they start in the middle of the circle. It looks like, you know, and you can argue and argue and argue, but you just haven't seen it from my perspective. But the only way we can know truth is who wrote it first. Now, this is interesting. This is what Paul would say to Timothy. Look what Paul says to Timothy. But understand this. This is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Then in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. You're like, where are you going with this? Get this, get this. There's, in the last days, there's going to be people who only want to see it from their viewpoint. There are going to be people who say, no, I'm, I'm willing to fight for what I believe is right for me. And this is the things you're going to see in their life. Avoid such people. Verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and lead astray by various passions. Just meaning these false teachers come in. But verse 7. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. You can fight for your viewpoint. You can say, I'm right because this is how I see it. You can say, this is what I believe because of where I'm at in my life. This is, where I, this is what I'm going to stand on. But as long as your perspective on the issue is a sinful, earthly perspective, you are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth because you refuse to see it from the one who originally wrote it. See, in the last days, people will reject the power of God, although they have a form of godliness. They'll have a form of this truth, but never really living it out. You don't ever really see it in their works, in their words, in their witness. John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So, God, who is outside of time and space, has spoken the world into existence and is the one who knows the truth. His word is truth. So, when we fight and we quarrel and we try to say, this is how I see it and this is my viewpoint and this is truth to me, it all comes down to, are you willing to submit to the truth? The one who wrote it. The real truth. See, some of us will make decisions based on our feelings and say, well, I, I just, this doesn't apply to me right now. His word is truth. There's this thing called cause and effect. Everything is an effect. If you think about everything in this world, it's an effect of something else. If it's dry outside, it's because it hasn't rained in weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah, dust bowl outside, right? If it's, if it's wet outside, it's because it's raining outside. 
Cause and effect. You are a cause and effect. I'll let you explain that to your kids later. Uh, Cause and effect. There's always a cause and effect. Now, that means that there has to be something that was the original cause. The one who stands outside of time and space. The one who's omniscient. Cause God is omniscient. The effect is he is the source of truth. Now, as we get into this word this morning, James is wanting you to realize that there are fights and there's quarrels and there's, there's issues because we refuse to see things from the truthful perspective, God's truth. He said there's two types of wisdom, an earthly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom. This earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom views life from a limited perspective. It doesn't see things in light of eternity's past and eternity's future. It only sees the now. This wisdom is always relative to what benefits you and is what and it is always grounded in selfish pride to be right. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Here's what James says. You, you want to you test whether or not you're living in truth? If you have Godly wisdom leading and guiding your life or earthly wisdom? It's easy. Are your decisions motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Are your decisions based on what benefits me now? What's best for me now? And this is, this is where we all get into trouble. We all begin to make decisions based on what fits my life best. Truth is relative to me. And he says, look, that's false. That's false to the truth. Is this not the root of all relational problems, all marriage problems, I'm right and you're wrong. You don't see it from my perspective. You would just, if you would just see it from my perspective, if you would just come around this side of the nine, you would see that it's really a six. You see, when two people are in a relationship, the only way to be grounded in that is to be grounded in truth and to be moving towards God and if you're not doing that, if you're fighting for your own path, your own way, and your own knowledge, your own truth, which is marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, I want to be right. I want to be on top. You'll find that it destroys your relationships. He said, but there's another kind. There's another kind of wisdom, heavenly wisdom. This wisdom sees things from an eternal perspective. This wisdom is kingdom-focused and not me-focused. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This wisdom is from above, and it can only be found in prayer and through reading God's word. It's First of all, it's pure. When you're making decisions and you're looking to see who is leading and guiding your life and you're examining your faith, are your decisions pure? That means are they in accordance to God's word or are they disobedient to God's word? Are they peaceable? As long as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Are you living at peace? Is, is it peaceable? You know, if you consistently see that in your relationships there's no peace, there's no, there's no white flag, then you're always fighting. Gentle, wisdom that is derived from considering others' ways. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit. 
Are your decisions full of kindness and goodwill towards others? Impartial, do you play favorites? And sincere, which means without hypocrisy. It's not just a game. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's a wisdom that comes from above that should lead and direct our path and our decisions, and it's not a selfish, self-motivated wisdom. So the second thing is this, respond to God with humility and right relationships. If you get your wisdom right, you can get your relationships right. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly you, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you, do you have conflicts in the relationships in your life? Is there conflict in your home? Is there conflict in your workplace? Is there conflict in your neighborhood with your neighbors? Is there conflict in your community? Is there conflict in your church? You see, there's that interesting thing he says here. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? You see, a life governed by worldly wisdom will inevitably cause fights and quarrels in relationships. If you want to choose a wisdom path that says, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, you need to see it from my view, expect it to cause fights and quarrels in your relationships. Conflict arises when the wrong person is on the throne. When we take God off the throne and we put ourselves there, we begin to make all kinds of decisions that cause fights and quarrels. This Greek word for passions, he gives you the reason. He says, it's, is it not your passions that are at war within you? This word passions is the word in the Greek where we get hedonism. That's a good word, right? Hedonism is this, the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. When we begin to govern our lives based on the pursuit of pleasure and sensual self-indulgence, we will find that affects the relationships we have with others because we're selfish, selfish, selfish. Yeah. It's interesting that we often think that the pursuit of pleasure is not any big deal. Immediate gratification. We're, we're in a world that wants to be pleased all the time. The quicker, the better. The quicker, the better. And if we're not careful, if that's the thing that governs our life, then the pursuit of pleasure quickly moves into sensual self-indulgence, where it's all about me. It's all about me. You see, relational conflicts come from a hedonistic heart in one or both parties. We might begin as an innocent pursuit of pleasure, and it will grow into a life of sensual self-indulgence that, that destroys relational commitment and covenant. If we choose to be a people who pursue pleasure over truth, we will see it in how it affects our relationships. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you 
ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I want you to notice that hedonism neg- negatively impacts three relationship areas in our lives, the me, the we, and the he. There's three areas of our life that you can really see if hedonism is ruling your life, the me, the we, and the he. So the me, let's talk about that. The me, you know, I don't know if it's you or me or everybody, but it's amazing how angry we can become when we don't get our way. You ever notice that? So I was reminded of a story of when my kids were super little, and that's when they were sweet, right? And uh, Eli was probably two years old, and Livy had just been born. She was, she was a little sweet baby. She came out early. She was kind of hairy and weird looking, but we loved her. Um, you know, she was so cute. She, she grew into that cuteness. And uh, so my wife, she had to run an errand, and so she had to go to Big Lots. And, I mean, go, go moms, right? Like, kids on hips and, like, going shopping and doing all that stuff. Dads are like, nope, can't do it. We're doing Walmart pickup. And so, uh, you know... Uh, so she goes to the big lots, and she's like, I'm just going to run in for a couple of items. And so those couple of items always turn into multiple items, right? That always happens. So she has multiple items, and she can't hold Eli's hand anymore because she's holding Olivia, and she's got all the stuff in her hand, and Eli keeps walking off, right? Sweetest kid, but just like, <whistles> just clueless, right? Just walking off. She's like, Eli, get over here. Eli, get over here. It keeps walking off, keeps walking off. Finally, she's had enough. She puts everything down. She walks over, she grabs him by the hand, and she brings him back into the, into the checkout line, and she says, do not walk away from me again. He raises up his hand, and she goes, do not hit me. So he holds his hand up, and he turns around to the guy in the line in front of him and smacks him right on the bottom. <laughs> He's like, I show you. So that guy in line just goes, yep. and he just steps forward. Like, I'm not looking back. I'm just going to step forward. My wife was mortified. She was just like, you just gave that guy a good game path, right? Like, what are you doing? And he's like, "Ah, the sweetest, the sweetest, the nicest, the most loving individuals, if they don't get their way, can respond in anger. In your relationships, in your loving relationships, marriage and family and even work relationships and and community relationships when you don't get things to go your way you can turn am i right you didn't do it my way when we have a hedonistic heart when we have a a heart that is all about self-pleasure pursuing pleasure self-indulgence we find that it affects our relationships, and it's because of what's in us. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Ephesians 4. It's there on the, on the screen, 4, 17 through 26. This is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, and I want you to get this. Paul is saying, look, if, if you are in Christ, that old person, the one who pitches fits, the one who gets angry and wants to, wants to lash out, that person, that's the dead person. The old is gone and the new has come, and so this is what he says, starting verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He says, look, you're in Christ now. I don't want you to walk as sinners walk. I don't want you to walk in the futility of your mind. I don't want you dependent upon earthly wisdom, seeking pleasure, right? They are darkened in their understanding, verse 18, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. 
He's like, look, they can't do any better. They've not been given the gift of God, which is grace and faith. They, they don't have the power to live out a godly life. They are ignorant. There is no truth in them. The, tr- the real truth is not there due to their hardness of hearts. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These are the people who are motivated and driven by an earthly wisdom hedonistic mindset but that is not the way you learned christ that's what paul says look that is not how you are to act christ now lives in you this is how he would act right assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in jesus to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, look, put off the old wisdom, put off the old self, put off the hedonistic mindset that wants everything to do with you. And put on the new new one. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Okay, now get this. See where this is going. For we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is what Paul says. Look, if this is your mindset, if, if, if you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, you put away the hedonistic mindset, the, it's all about my pleasure and my self-indulgence, you might get angry at your neighbor. You might get angry with your brother and sister, but do not sin in that. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have moments where you're like, oh, that really irritates me. But it's not okay to be sinful and to, and to let your flesh dictate your, your motives and your, and your emotions. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 21 through 24. You have heard that it is said that those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hells of fire, the fires of hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before you go to the altar. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your your gift. Now look what Jesus says. He's like, look, if you're in a relationship and you have this hedonistic mindset and you've had this difficulty and you're angry he says look some of you murder with the way that you treat others with your minds and if you are in a body of leaders with brothers and sisters and you are there offering an altar and worshiping and you remember oh there's something wrong in our relationship someone has something against you what does he say he says if if your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go First, be reconciled with your brother. Then, and come and offer your gift. See, you desire and you do not have, so you murder the me. The we. Me issues always become we issues. I didn't write that. I stole it. That's a good one, though. Me issues always become we issues. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. If you have a me issue of always wanting to be right, always being pleasure-driven, you're going to have we issues. And then you're going to have he issues. 
our prayers are hindered when we ask God for things from a hedonistic heart. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Real quick, just thinking about your prayer life. If all your prayers were answered today, other than you, who would be impacted? Who would be saved? Do your prayers verbalize the forgiveness you have received and the forgiveness you have shown? Do your prayers have a scriptural truth to them or are they worldly requests? See, the goal of prayer is not that our will be done, but God's will be done. If you have a problem with me, you're going to have a problem with we. And if you have a problem with we, you're going to have a problem with he. That's what Paul says. That's what Jesus says. He's like, look, if, if you're seeing a reoccurring theme of problems in relationships, conflicts and fights and quarrels, it might be that you have a problem with God. It might be that you're the one sitting on the throne of your life. He says, you adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, a life governed by worldly wisdom and worldly friendship is a life marked by the excess of pleasure-seeking and covenant-breaking. So our greatest issue as adulterous people Cheaters on God is not that we have conflict with others. It's that our true conflict is with God. If you are in conflict right now, in a relationship, it's time to examine your faith and ask, God, are we right? Are we right or have I been very selfish? Is there a me problem? Because it might be the red flag that God is allowing in your life to say, hey, you and I, we have a problem. What parts of life, of your life, does God not have? Are there areas you've allowed him not to be in control of? You see, our relationship struggles with others might be the indicator of our relationship struggle with God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, his very own spirit. And he is jealous to see that spirit live in and through his, his sons and daughters. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what decisions you've made. I don't know what your relationships look like. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It is a free gift of God. And each and every morning, he gives new mercies. Today's a new day. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want that grace? Upon grace, upon grace, here's what the half-brother of Jesus would say. That humble yourself. Fall before the Lord and say, I'm not right. I'm not right. I've been fighting for my way this whole time, and I'm not right. Your word is truth. So respond to God with humility and right resistance. 
Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one law giver and judge. There's only one who wrote the letter, right? Only one who wrote the number. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Humility, according to James, is this. Submit yourselves to God. Submitting to God. Most of our problems and conflicts exist because we don't submit to the Lordship of God. If you want to humble yourself this morning, it begins with submitting. I'm wrong, you're right. I'm not the judge. I'm not the one who wrote it. You wrote it. I've been living according to my word, not your word. Submitting yourselves to God. The second one is by resisting Satan. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now let me tell you something. I, I, some of you know this, some of you don't know this. I have a learning disability and, um, and it really it caused a lot of problems growing up. So I couldn't actually even read until after second grade because uh, I was so severely dyslexic. I would actually read words and write words backwards. And so um, there's times when I'm reading and I'm, I'm, I'm only concentrating on the next word so that I say it correctly. I'm really working hard at, at not being dyslexic anymore. And I, I did a really good job. I failed all the tests until my senior year uh, when they pulled me out of class and I felt like I was a remedial kid and I passed the test. I put all the puzzles together correctly and they were like, oh, good, you passed. And then I realized there's no, uh, no more financial credit for me to go to college because I passed this test. So I was like, give me the test again. I can pass it or fail it. Um, the reason I say that is because there's this thing I believe is spiritual dyslexia. Where we, we read this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But we read it backwards. Resist God and he will flee from you. Draw near to Satan and do his work, right? So think about this. When you're, when you're at a moment of decision making, there's, if the Spirit's in you, there's this check. He, he's jealous, for the spirit that he's placed within you. That's why there's conviction of sin in the life of a believer. Because he wants you to have that check. He wants you to have that moment where you say, I need to resist the devil. I need to resist the devil right now. Maybe you're logging in on the internet. Maybe you're about to have a conversation that you shouldn't have. Maybe you're about to do something that you know goes against God's word and there's that check. I need to resist the devil. And I need to draw near to God. But oftentimes we, oh, I don't want to listen to God's word right now because that's not what I want. So I'm going to resist God and his word and then I'm going to follow my own passions, my own pleasures. Now, I would say, how many people have you known that have had a form of godliness that at some point or another have said, I don't listen to that anymore? And that, I would say, don't think of it that way because then we, uh, we push it off on, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of sinners out there. But James, he's not calling his church saints. Did you catch what he said? He says, you're believers, but you're sinners. You're adulterous people. 
These are, this is very hard, shocking language. He's, he's saying, look, you're the church, you're the bride of Christ, and you've closed it. You've closed God's word to your life. You need to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is humility. Humility, according to James, is repentance. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Repenting of sin has an inward and an outward element. Cleanse your hands. Stop participating in sin. Stop going back to the mud, is what I put. Some of us in here, we know that there's sin in our life, and as soon as we leave these walls, we're going to go right back to it. Purify your hearts. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The inward working of God is not what you can do. It's what he can do. But how would we ask God to clean our hearts if we're planning on getting our hands dirty again in sin? And this is, the, this is the repetition you see in a lot of people's lives. They come into church and they, oh, I feel bad and I'm going to pray and I'm going to repent. And then before the week's up, they've gone right back to the same sin that they repented of over and over and over. Humility, according to James, is taking a serious look at sin. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Basically what James says is stop living in a way that you love sin. You're joining with people that are sinning and you're like, oh, this is the best life now. Some of you got that. It's wrong. Be wretched and mourn when sin comes in your life. There's a question in our small group. How can you tell that belief in Christ has changed you? And I was thinking about that yesterday and I thought I don't rejoice in sin over sin anymore I mean, it's not that I'm not sinful I got sin in my life I'll, I'll be the first to tell you there's, there's thoughts that I have there's actions that I have there's words I say that I'm not proud of but I grieve over it I hate it I mourn I weep if there's no mourning and weeping over sin that's in your life Examine yourself. Don't you know that the spirit within you, he's jealous for the spirit that he's placed within you? So be humble. Humble yourselves before God, and he will exalt you. Most of our conflicts, we struggle because we want to be right more than we want to be righteous. So as Pastor Al read some verses earlier, I'm going to read these, and these are going to be Verses I would ask for you to pray over as we respond to God here in just a second as Chip comes up. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. As you respond to God in prayer here in just a second, will you respond by lifting up others? If there's a problem that you have in a relationship with someone else, will you drop your gift at the altar and go and make that right first? Verse 4, let each of us look not at our own interests, but to the interest of others. 
Have you been making decisions based on what you want solely? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We desperately need to pray for God's spirit, God's presence to live in and through us as we make decisions, as we lean on truth. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.